Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode, we're doing the eighth Best Picture winner, Mutiny on the Bounty. So this is the Mutiny on the Bounty from 1935. There was a remake later in 1962, um, but the 35 picture was directed by Frank Lloyd and stars Charles Lawton and Clark Gable, and it tells the story of the mutiny on the HMS Bounty against the notorious and cruel Captain William Bly, played by Charles Lawton, and led by First Lieutenant Fletcher Christian, played by Gable. And it is actually based on a book that is a fictionalized version of the historical events of the mutiny on the HMS Bounty in 1789. And let me tell you, Lawton's performance as Captain Bly. Oh, we will talk in depth about that because so many thoughts and feelings on that. But yeah, and you know, this is a movie based on a book, which is a fictionalized version of actual events. So like there are historical inaccuracies with this movie. I don't think we're going to go super into what they are. But just know that, like, there are some. Like, this isn't a super accurate portrayal of the people involved in the mutiny or, like, how the actual events went down. Mm -hmm. I think we'll focus much more on, at least with that aspect, some of the portrayals of Tahiti and some problematic things. Yeah, because I think how we're going to break this one down, um, I'll go through, like, the background, like I usually do, of, you know, what else was nominated that year, what else this was nominated for. Um, and some like light trivia, but then we're kind of going to break this movie down into three segments. There's like the ship's voyage to Tahiti, the actual time in Tahiti, and then the mutiny and like post mutiny. Mm -hmm. But first, like I said, some background. So this was actually nominated for a total of eight awards. So best picture, which it won best director, Gable, Lawton, and Franchot Tone were all nominated for Best Actor for this. Oh, this is geez. the only film that there was has ever been three people from the same movie nominated in the Best Actor category. And who won? None of them. Oh, yeah. so sad. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about that later when talking about Lawton's performance in particular. But this is actually the reason that the Best Acting Supporting categories were created. So that this wouldn't happen again. Mm-hmm. It was also nominated for Best Writing and Screenplay and Best Score, which I think is safe to say we both really liked the score. Oh, absolutely. It's very good. It did lose to Max Steiner, who won for The Informer. I'm a huge fan of Steiner scores. <laughs> um, interestingly, The Informer was actually won, I think it was nominated for six awards and won four. So it didn't win Best Picture, which is why we didn't watch that one. But it does make me kind of curious about that movie Mm -hmm. um and then lastly best film editing margaret booth was nominated oh Um, oh, i am on board with that nomination the editing was really good um and then the score nominee was nat w uh finston i don't think i said his name um this was like i said or like i said the only one to have three best actor nominations it was also the last best picture winner to win in no other category um up there with grand hotel and the broadway melody well so I'm, we've seen I'm sad all of about them now. this one i'm not sad about the other two not winning <laughs> yeah well i mean grand hotel wasn't nominated for anything else well, so yeah. this is just kind of another little bit of trivia it is number 86 on the american film institute's top 100 movies of all time um, and it, Captain Bly in particular is number 19 on AFI's top villains list. 
Ooh, okay. Yeah. Glad we got to watch some good stuff again. Yeah. So even though it's not a comedy, at least it was a good not comedy. There were, there were funny moments in it. I, you know, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But like, there was definitely some comedic moments and there some were. slightly comedic characters. Um, just last thing on background, other nominees from that year were Alice Adams, Broadway Melody of 1936. Captain Blood, David Copperfield, The Informer, which, like I said, uh, ended up with four of the awards, The Lives of a Bengal Lancer, A Midsummer Night's Dream, which actually became the only film to win a write-in Oscar. It won for Best Cinematography, all on write-in. Jeez. Yeah. Um, also, Les Miserables, uh, Naughty Marietta, Ruggles of Red Gap, and Top Hat. So I have those I have seen other than Mutiny, obviously. I've seen three of those other ones what's your take maybe four um i would give it to mutiny the only one that i think would come close would be david copperfield which okay. i definitely have a soft spot for fair well as the... we found with it happened one night if you have a soft spot for it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i would i would say like i can understand why mutiny would win over david copperfield despite liking that movie well let's jump into pre-tahiti okay so... so first thing i noticed were the sets okay first thing i noticed was that amazing opening shot okay of that yeah sorry getting ahead you of have, myself <laughs> you have the the like i guess town crier type guy but yes. it's like focused kind of on his boots and there's like a puddle on the sidewalk mm-hmm. and then you see another set of boots walk through the puddle and then we start to follow those boots and you can see other people filing behind it and then it pans up and it's gable as fletcher christian yes which I first off that pan. gable sands mustache so weird I didn't think it was weird, but remember... Oh, it was so weird to me. I didn't like it. I haven't it. seen him in a lot of things, because oh. I am definitely the novice film watcher of this duo. <laughs> at, at least as far as, like, 30s and stuff. Yes, yeah, exactly. Good. No, Gable, Gable without the Gable stash? I was like, I, I don't think I like this very much. <laughs> well, yeah, it it's really like whenever somebody me. shaves. Yeah, it was really, really throwing me. Um, But yeah, I just, you know, I loved that shot. I thought it was so mm-hmm. good. And I think, you know, that very much set the tone for how the cinematography was going to be. Yeah. And I loved how when they got to this tavern, opium den, whatever you want to call it, maybe not an opium was... den. That's a little too early for that. <laughs> Why were you thinking um, opium den? I don't know, because they were smoking pipes. I... <laughs> it was like a bar. <laughs> I'm getting my time periods mixed up because the accents are all screwy. Oh, yeah. No no one's like... doing a British accent in this. Everyone's speaking with their own accent. But, like, it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I would much rather... The actors just use their normal accents and... Then a bad English accent. Yes, then a bad English accent. Because then the whole time I'm just going to be sitting there being like, why is your accent so bad? Also, like, we're not going to make Gable do an accent. (laughs) He's Gable. It's just like how we should never make Gable shave his stash, even though he actually did shave it to be historically authentic. Because 18th century British sailors were not allowed to be bearded or stashed. So, speaking of 18th century British naval lore... I want an explanation of that tavern scene. Okay, I can explain this to you. Um, I really love British well, naval history, so really quickly. So w- what they did, they went into this tavern and they conscripted six six yeah, men to get I'm, on I'm to a boat. I'm going to explain that. Um, so like you were saying, what happens is Fletcher Christian, who is our first mate, and some of his sailors go into a tavern and grab six people and are like, "You are now part of the British Navy," and they refer to it as the press and the press gangs. So what that was was that. During this time period, you're starting to... So, like, Britain and France have been, like, kind of on and off fighting for a long time. You're starting to get close to, like, the Napoleonic Wars and stuff like that. So, British Navy, it's obviously a huge navy. They've got colonies all over the world. 
they needed to man their ships and sometimes they would have trouble manning them with people just volunteering because mm-hmm. like it was rough to be in the navy at that point like well, yeah because the whole crew ended up being basically convicted criminals who chose service over going to jail yeah, so that was one way they would do it is that they would like give prisoners the options a lot of times. They were like, you can go to jail or you can join the Navy. Or they would have press gangs who would basically just go out and get people and be like, you're in the Navy now. So yeah, so basically Gable, they go and they press six men into service. Um, and then you get this one poor guy, Ellison, who has a wife and like mm-hmm. a new baby and he really doesn't want to go and his wife's like saying, you know, please let him stay. Like we have a newborn child. Yeah, I didn't and... like Fletcher at this point. I was like, you're being a jerk, but he was also carrying out his orders. That's, so like, I was going to eh, say, that's also just like what happened in the yeah. British Navy a lot of the time. So I didn't like him, but I understand why. Yeah. So I guess after the scene, that's when we get to meet kind of who I would, I would actually call our hero of the film, Francho Tone's character, Byam. Yes. Who is a midshipman, though I would say Francho Tone and the other midshipmen look a little old to be midshipmen. Because midshipmen were generally between the ages of like, like 13 would have been young for one, to like, I think it was 17 when they Jeez. were allowed to take their like lieutenant's exam. They're a little old to be midshipmen. Yeah. Well, but I did, um, so with Byam in particular, like, I got the impression that his family is very, very well to do, and they got him this appointment as something of honor, and I really liked how that kind of set the stage for, okay, then serving in the Navy as a not lowly seaman is, like, an honor. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was the thing that usually, you know, a lot of wealthy families, if, especially if it wasn't, like, a first son who was going to be inheriting the estate, like, second, third, fourth sons, it was, like, you could go into, like, the Navy or the Army or, like, the clergy. Those were kind of the main three. Mm -hmm. Um, And sort of, like, make your name and your fortune that way. Right. But, um, so... I also really, I, so at this point, like I almost immediately was like, I like French Tone. Like his performance I liked. I liked that there was like a naivete, but like a, a boisterousness to yeah, well, the character of Bayam. Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that's excited. it. After watching those people get pressed into service, I was like, yeah, oh, it was someone nice who's s- happy. Exactly. And somebody that wanted to go and do it. Yeah. So I was, Because they I was establish in that press scene, someone asks who the captain is going to be on the bounty and they say, Captain William Bly and the guy's like fuck no don't take me to that so we already kind of know of Bly as like not someone you want to be like a sailor for and then in Byam's introduction they also kind of established not someone you want to be an officer for either right so we get into that more but after both of those two scenes we move into actually seeing the uh, Portsmouth Harbor Mm -hmm. which these sets are blowing my mind here like actual ships that they actually sailed and I presume actually sunk and actually set on fire. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. That or they would have been models, I guess. But so yeah, they have them on really convincing models and really detailed models. I was looking at some of the woodwork on the main ship that Bly was captaining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they they were. And then, you know, you kind of got, I made a lot of notes here because we were getting introduced to a lot of characters real fast. That is like kind of, a flaw of like naval movies I found. Cause like, I love a good, you know, 18th century British <laughs> naval movie, 
but like they're generally a large cast of characters and everyone's like dressed the same because you're yes. in uniforms. So like, yeah, we meet uh, the surgeon. His entrance was beautiful. I loved so much. He has a peg leg for one. He does. He's constantly drunk. Well, and he was hoisted onto the ship riding a pallet of booze. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so good. And then I love how oh, throughout the movie, Anytime anyone's hurt and they like bring the surgeon, like there's one time he brings his little doctor bag and he opens it up and takes out a bottle of brandy. And then anytime anyone's hurt, he's just like, no, if you'd lost a leg. Oh, th- you know what I immediately thought? Well, I took an arrow to the knee. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's just like anytime anybody brings that up, he's like, no, if you lose a leg, come talk to me then. <laughs> Otherwise, just get Yeah, drunk. there was one in particular. Oh, let me see if I can find it. Um, oh, I love when he says, um, it's later after he's like tending to buy him, who mm-hmm. was like unconscious in the rigging for reasons we'll discuss. Somebody asked him about how he lost his leg or maybe somebody didn't ask. Maybe he was just telling them, but he talks about the French surgeon who took his leg and he goes, he apologized in French and I cursed him in English. <laughs> well, and that story oh, actually did. changes later on in the oh, film. Oh, does it? I don't think it I does. noticed. Yeah, it was something about a Spanish surgeon the second time. So this oh, character was so actually, um, someone made a comment about how he would be a good historian because he has a disregard for facts. I think Captain Bly uh, made this comment. It's and he was he was our comedic relief. He was him and the other midshipmen, but the he was cook? so good. What about the cook though? I thought the, the cook, cook was the cook was too a little bit. Yeah, but. a little bit. Um, but no, I loved him so much. I love the surgeon, and you know, just kind of talking about some of those lines we just quoted. Like the dialogue in this movie was so good. It was. It was really really good dialogue. <laughs> The characterization was also good. I'm thinking one of our first introductory scenes to Bly is in conjunction with a flogging. So Yes. Oh, well, also just like the minute Lawton walks on board, everyone's demeanor changes. And just Lawton, hands down, should have gotten best actor. Like indisputable. You hate his guts. (laughs) (laughs) But because of all of the little subtleties that he puts in his performance, like the stony face command to flog a dead man. Like, yes, because what, what happens is they're bringing around a guy who I think they say he struck his captain. So they mm-hmm. punch the captain in the face. And so the punishment for that is that he be, quote, flogged around the fleet, which means he would have to go to every ship in the harbor and be given 24 lashes. 24 lashes. Two so, dozen. yeah, with a whip. So by the time the guy gets to the bounty, he's dead. And the people say he's dead. And Bly's like, what? But his punishment isn't over. Like, he still hasn't been flogged around the fleet. So flog the body and like orders the bosun to flog the dead body. And it's really horrific. And he's just like sitting there watching very stony face. I think one of the midshipmen well, was, faint, by, was by him who faints. fainted. Yeah. Yeah. By him faints. You can tell everyone's super uncomfortable about it, but it's just like, and this is why I think Bly is such a good villain. And this is yeah. why I think he made that list because the way Lawton plays him is like, he is horribly cruel but he is not cruel or evil necessarily for the sake of being cruel or evil he's very rules focused and so much of his punishments are things that it's like well that's against the rules and the rule says that you be punished this way and then he will kind of take it a step further a lot of the time but he is very he's very mission focused very rules focused and i think you get hints of like insecurity there where he 
he, as far as he's concerned, he is the one with the power and he will use that power as he sees fit. And he doesn't like to be questioned. And I think it's one of those cases of someone who is so afraid of being wrong that they refuse to hear criticism and they refuse to hear feedback of any kind. Yes, and, and we immediately saw yes. that with the way the first mate but and him he interacted. Is, he is such a recognizable villain and so realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why he's so good. He isn't just this like monstrous face of evil. Like we've all known someone like this. So when Fletcher tries to basically say, hey dude, you're being a little strict. These people are going to react more positively if you're not so strict. He's Mm -hmm. like, screw you, you will carry out my orders as given. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And And I wanted to punch him. And this is like in the first 15 minutes of the film. Yeah, well, and there's a scene a little bit later on because kind of, you know, like I said, we're splitting this into sort of Mm -hmm. thirds. So in the voyage to Tahiti, you basically get a very nice segment of character introductions. Mm Mm-hmm. And then it cuts to being like vignettes of just various points of Bly's cruelty. And like you continue to get character through those, but it just like it's various circumstances around which somebody did something or was accused of doing something and Bly punished them in an overly harsh way. And there's this whole thing about uh, two rounds of cheese having been taken and someone's trying to tell Bly like, no, you ordered those to be like served early, like a week ago or stuff, but like Bly's instead of being like, oh, you're right, I'm wrong, oh, it's Bly worse. doubles down. It's so much worse. Bly had those unloaded to his house. Yeah, which we found out Like, later. oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, instead of, you know, or just, you know, he could have just not said anything about it. But instead, he's like, basically just pick someone to be like, you took these. Yeah. And so has him, like, hang, like, basically tied up on the side of some of the rigging and just, like, hanging out there. And then it cuts from, like, that guy just tied up there to Bly's cabin where he has Fletcher Christian, the surgeon. I don't remember who the other person is and by him. There's a fourth person there, but I don't remember who but it was. But the cheese Yes, scene. but they're, they're having dinner in the captain's cabin and um, he brings out some cheese and offers it to them. Nobody takes it. Yes, I but it's, I love the protest that they get because it's not flat out. No one flat out says, at least at first, like, no, I'm not accepting that cheese because of like the stuff that you just pulled. But it's like he offers it to Fletcher Christian. He's just like, no, I'm good. He offers it to Byam. Byam's like, no, thank you. He offers it to like, like people are just right. like, well, no, even... thank you. But he knows why. Exactly. And like, he banishes Byam and he Fletcher. He flips out about it. Yeah, because he finally calls out Fletcher on it. And he's like, I thought you liked cheese. Why won't you eat the cheese? And Fletcher's like, well, because I think that there's somebody being unjustly punished because of cheese. So I'm just going to pass on this one. And he is like, get out of my cabin. And then he's basically like, Byam, do you think I did the wrong thing there? And Byam's like, eh. and he's like, then you can leave too. And I love how Byam's like, thank you, sir. <laughs> and then he says the line that I think like sums up Bly's attitude towards everyone where he's like, so you're all against me. Yes. And he goes into it thinking everybody's yeah. against him. Yeah. Which was not the case until he started being an asshole, which yeah. was immediately. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this is even after we saw the punishment that he gave to Byam. So Byam and another midshipman were just horsing about. Oh, so let's talk about the midshipmen for a minute. Because while I do think they're all a little old to be midshipmen, they are, again, some of our comedic characters. Mm -hmm. You have Stuart, who becomes kind of like Byam's buddy. And then you have Hayward, who is very stuck up. Because he's sailed before. Yes, because he's sailed before for two years. And so at one point, Byam... 
had kind of cut his hammock a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, and then there's also the whole bit with uh, the lessons. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what leads to the punishment, yes. right? Yes, so they're yeah. all taking this... Um, well, I don't remember. For, I think well, it, basically it's, it's all in the it's same Fletcher scene. It's Fletcher Christian's job to like train the midshipmen on like how to navigate and stuff like that. So um, when he comes down to like the midshipmen's cabin to like quiz them on it, Stuart had been previously being like, "Oh, I have had so much trouble with these navigation charts." And Byam's like, "I got you, bud. I got you." And then says this whole like thing. The face that launched yeah. a thousand ships. Yeah, he calls himself like the face that launched a thousand ships, and is like he's not afraid of like anything. And mm-hmm. of course. Fletcher Christian hears it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Christian hears it and then kind of calls them on it. And then they're sitting there like quizzing them on stuff. And Stuart doesn't know the lesson. So well, you Byam know what I had a flashback in. to? What? I had a flashback to freaking Georgia Tech. Because <laughs> it was like people standing how, up there How well can you BS? Yeah. And exactly. then you've always got someone in the audience who's trying to like hand sign you the correct exactly. answer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So Byam like steps in to try and help Stuart. And to do that makes a point about the swinging lantern. So he hits the lantern that's at the top of the ceiling and it starts swinging. And all of them get seasick from well, looking first at Hayward it. gets seasick. Well, first Hayward rats out Stuart. Yeah. And then gets seasick. And then Stuart gets seasick and has to leave. And then Bi- Fletcher's like, no, Byam, continue to explain this to me. And so Byam starts, he's like, no, 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 but watch the lantern. And so then <laughs> Byam gets sick and has to leave. And then it ends with Fletcher Christian just standing there kind of looking at the lantern a bit and laughing. And then he continues to look at it and he like almost starts to get a little sick. <laughs> which um, would have cracked me up. He's oh, like, oh, which I, I loved so that. much. And then of course what happens is Hayward gets mad at Byam about mm-hmm. the lantern. Cause he's like, you did that on purpose to make me sick. Right. And, and then so, one of them kicks the other down the stairs, and then I love that shot. I really Speaking liked of that, that, so Hayward, they all go up on deck where they've been. I'm assuming vomiting, and as they're going back below, Hayward kicks by him down the stairs. But the way the shot is framed is you can like kind of see the area leading to the stairs, and you like see Hayward presumably kick by him and hear by him tumble down the stairs. And then with the camera still framing the shot the exact same way, you hear him run up the stairs and then see him run out and yep. like punch Hayward. But unfortunately, Bly only sees the punch. Yeah. So Byam gets sent up the masthead. And he's told to stay there. And then there's a horrible storm. And he's just sitting there basically passed out eventually. Yeah. And eventually Christian goes up and gets him. Right. And that's where I'm really glad we get to see how compassionate Christian is with that scene. So mm-hmm. um, Fletcher Christian brings him down. The doctor's giving him some booze, of course. Yeah. Um, getting him ready. But then again, we Bly's get to like, see... like, I didn't tell him he could come down. And they're like, he could die. <laughs> yeah. But Bly doesn't care, no. obviously. And so what I felt was really nice is the other uh, officers... Like gave buy him a coat, gave him a bottle of booze, and sent him back up so that yeah. he would presumably be Stay better warm. in yeah. this crazy, crazy storm. Like Maggie said, that whole—it wasn't a montage necessarily, but it was the string of vignettes interlaced with the map showing how they had progressed around their voyage. Mm-hmm. I loved it because it focused exactly on how horrible a person Bly was. They did a great job of introducing you to the characters, but they use those vignettes to not only show Bly's mm-hmm. cruelty and sort of set up the idea that, um, because, uh, spoiler, there's a mutiny in this film, <laughs> but kind of like set up the idea that, you know, I think it's very clear the audience is supposed to kind of side with the mutineers, but they do a nice job of not only using those vignettes to like 
continually reference Bly's cruelty and kind of convince you to be on the mutineers side, but they also like develop the mutineers as characters, like right. particularly Fletcher Christian. And you kind of get that idea of like tough love yes. from him, like t- or tough, but fair. Right. Right. So I also really liked the editing and cinematography and portions mm-hmm. of this first part. Well, and I like the way they use that map. Yes. So that was awesome. Yeah. So between each vignette, they would cut away to like a map of, the world and it would mm-hmm. just show the progress of the ship and like where they were on the course of their journey. Yeah. And I really liked the soundtrack that would play in there as well because mm-hmm. it gave you the sense of an ominous coming and with every single vignette, it just got worse. <laughs> yeah. So from a like cohesive music helping bolster the message of um, what they were going for, it was, it was highly effective and to kind of go on the soundtrack path a little further when they first launched um, the bounty out of Portsmouth loved, loved both the editing and the soundtrack in that scene. So you have this triumphant music in the background while they're scurrying about this ship to get it going. And they cut rapidly from people yelling orders to people doing things, to people climbing up the masts to release all of the sails and all of that. And the way they had that rapid fire cut, I thought was highly effective in mm. showing how much effort and activity goes on yeah. to launch ships like this. Well, and I would say that this portion was definitely my favorite portion of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it was edited nicely. It was shot nicely. The score was good. It, it was paced very nicely too. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the way it was structured. I thought the performances were absolutely amazing. Lawton in particular, like I can't say enough about how good he was. Mm-hmm. Um, his facial expressions were so subtle. He did such a good job of going from like, sort of calm to like furious and like uncontrollably angry. Yes. Um, which I thought was so good. And then I think because that part of the movie was so good. Yeah. It made the second part we want to talk about feel not so good. Yeah. And that is the portion that they spend in Tahiti. So they arrive in Tahiti because I guess we haven't said this yet. The whole purpose of their mission is that they are supposed to get uh, breadfruit plants which from Tahiti, banana, right? To I, I know nothing about agriculture, Ian. <laughs> um, but they're supposed to get them from the quote East Indies slash Tahiti slash Pacific Islands and take them to the quote West Indies, aka kind of the Caribbean, so mm-hmm. that they can be planted on plantations right. there as like a cheap food source. So to clarify, breadfruit is not a banana. I'm wrong. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying bananas as in it was ridiculous for them to try and take breadfruit to like across oh, the world. No, 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 no. Which Literally, I was I like, I don't know thing. how plausible that is. <laughs> no. So breadfruit apparently is related to the mulberry and jackfruit family. So Okay. The more you know. Cool. Um, but yeah, from the opening scene getting into Tahiti, I was like, this feels like a game of telephone here where we are taking material from the British Imperial era where they have a certain view of all of their subjects. Mm-hmm. And then we're putting it through another lens of Hollywood. <laughs> In the 1930s. Well, not only Hollywood, but also 1930s Yeah. Hollywood. So I am too ignorant to be able to say whether their portrayal was wrong, but I am fairly sure the way that they were portraying the people. Of Tahitians, Tahiti, exactly. Yeah. was just like. I'm, yeah, I'm going to, really, I'm going to say, really and it's sad that I have to say this, not the most offensive portrayal of like, a native Pacific Islander people that I've seen in old movies. 
but that bar is real low. Yeah. So I, especially, even the line, like, your language is most un-English. <laughs> I was like... Well, yeah, yeah. because biome is specifically... Mm-hmm. Studying been sent along, language. yeah, studying to study the language and create like quote a dictionary. Although I thought it was interesting that they talk about having different words for look, and biome's like we don't have that in English. I'm like actually we do biome because we there's do. a difference between like look and gaze, like and side eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which hardcore given biome some side eye when he said that line. Um, so yeah, I was kind of like mm, maybe you're not the best one to be studying another language, but like in general, I just. You know, not only was I questioning the portrayal of Tahitians in that section, they also shoehorn in two love stories. They come out of nowhere. I, like, it was... Especially, okay, so when... I think they were done to sort of give the characters of Byam and Fletcher, like, reason to want to return to Tahiti mm-hmm. or, like, a romantic reason to want to turn in order to, like, get audiences on that side or something. Or maybe they were just like, we have to have a romantic plot line somewhere. But I like, was not on board. No. It's, well, and it comes back to, with British imperialism, you had this paternalistic view of yeah. the people that were their subjects. So and it's so it felt real that way icky. In these in, within these relationships. Because it's like... You haven't exchanged words because you don't speak the same language. You're just like they're making super, eyes at one another. Yeah, they're super unequal. And um, it's like, you know that the like they're part of the Navy. They're not going to be staying there. I mean, I guess they like kind of try and stay there later. But like yeah, after the mutiny, happen. but like... Well, and let's talk about at that At least montage. initially, you're like, you have no I don't know, like desire to be staying here long yeah. term, at least initially. And it's just like... It's, it's, it's exploitative icky. in that case. Yes, that's so, a good word for it. And let's talk about that montage with Fletcher and his love interest for a minute, where they were interspersing their well, like also, really weird, not sexual encounter. Well, here's with... the thing too, though. <laughs> you can't like, because of the fact that those characters, and I did actually like, I, I wonder if they were speaking like actual Tahitian because you do have the two uh, female characters like speaking to each other in their mm-hmm. native language, or I guess what is supposed to be their native language. But because we as an, audience can't understand what they're saying we get no character development like we have no sense of them as people yeah they've reduced that entire Tahitian culture to a plot device it's awesome it feels very it just feels icky it really does that's the best word I got for it well and and to me also voyeuristic so yes that montage with like I said the Fletcher and his love interests it was heavily hinted that it was a sexual encounter, but I think we're like in code enforcement era. Yeah, so we're officially in code it enforcement. It was very nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But it's like they would intersperse a scene with love interest and Fletcher with some like presumably culturally, well, cultural scene of like dancing and drumming and then a picture of them again and then a picture of some palm well, trees. Well, I also got really sick of watching people just stare into each other's eyes. I mean, Yeah. But still, like just seeing that looking yeah. in on this, it just I yeah, and I just and I you know just from like a plot standpoint too, like there didn't, didn't need to be forward. there didn't exactly it didn't move it forward. There didn't need to be a love story. Like I was already in that first third of the movie very invested in those characters yeah. and the conflict that was going on, and like there's well, there's just no reason had... to have like that is like that is your main story. That is your plot. Like there's yeah. no reason to have this side plot that appears very suddenly and then is also just like mm-hmm. kind of a non-factor because like they decide to go back to Tahiti but like the reason for the mutiny isn't that like Fletcher misses this 
woman. Like, right. And quite frankly, I think it would have been enough impetus, Fletcher and the chief's friendship, that would have been enough to get him to go back to Tahiti. So I completely yeah. agree that the love interests were superfluous. Like they weren't, they weren't done well and they weren't needed. Yeah. So not our favorite. <laughs> no, I would say I definitely think that whole portion Tahiti is easily and by far the weakest point of the film. Yeah. Moving on from our least favorite part to maybe second least favorite. <laughs> yeah. The uh, post Tahiti plus mutiny plus. Now I did still think that was good. Um, once we get back on the ship. Yes. And we finally are starting to see the fact that like Fletcher can only take so much more of Bly. Right. So I would really want to talk about this scene with the surgeon because this is like the key turning point in the yeah. mutiny. So the captain... Though, is this like right after this that the mutiny happens? Yes. Okay, because there's one other thing I wanted to point out before that Go. about Lawton's <laughs> amazing performance. So I think it was the guy who wanted water, maybe? Yes, with um, his... Oh, yeah, with his knees all right. beat up or something. And I think Gable comes in and just, like, kind of goes off on him. And Bly's, like, threatening him or threatening somebody else with, like, a court-martial or something. But anyway, a couple other people, like, get involved. Mm-hmm. And Bly basically, like, deals out more punishment. But there was one guy, like, standing next to the rails who had, like, kind of said something but backed off. And he had been, like... a it looks like about to like hit Bly on the head with like a peg or something. Yes, I, and I remember that. after the crowd disperses, Bly goes and stands right next to him, but not facing him, kind of facing forward, just like daring this guy to do it. Yes. And so it look, reinforces the you're oh, a passive aggressive scumbag. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's he he knows power that he has although he does overestimate it um eventually but it's like his total abuse of this power dynamic and just the look on Lawton's face and he does it so casually I think that's the thing about Lawton's performance is he does most of the things so casually it's so effortless it's so oh, makes it's it more so believable. insidious it's oh it's so good Love but yeah it. I just had to talk about that okay oh, so we absolutely. can talk about the surgeon scene so now. now now we're getting into the scene with the surgeon who we love the surgeon at this point because he has helped some men. He's this jolly old guy with a peg leg that A is French drunk. or Spanish surgeon took. We yeah, will never know. Exactly. Apparently, he dropped a bottle of rum in the South Pacific, and it showed up in the Amazon refilled with rum at one point. Loved that story as well. <laughs> um, so anyway, we like him. But he is like sick as a dog down below deck, and Bly has ordered everybody up on deck. Well, He's ordered everyone up on deck to witness another flogging. Exactly. And is ordering the doctor This one up. was over. I think this he accused this guy of having stolen 10 coconuts. Yes, because this happened on Fletcher's watch. Which, oh, yeah. So again, then, with the food going Yeah, missing. and he was like, if this guy didn't take it, then you took it, Fletcher. So we try to keep the doctor down. I think it was Byam who was like, don't, don't come up. Yeah. And then when Byam comes up. The captain's like, no, you get his ass up here. Fortunately, because, again, the surgeon is such a stand-up guy, he had already come up Mm -hmm. to save Byam. He ends up collapsing and dying. And that's the turning point. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I shouldn't say the turning point. It's, it's the straw that broke the camel's back. Exactly. Because we then get a rapid deterioration of Fletcher's acceptance of Bly's tyranny. When we get this other scene where Fletcher then is comes upon, um, I believe, a midshipman, another officer. Quite frankly, I don't remember this yeah. one character's name. There were a lot of characters. I'm there so were sorry. So many. Um, he's just 
kicking one of the seamen who's chained up yeah for no presumably no reason um and at this point fletcher's like screw it it's time for a mutiny yeah <laughs> and the mutiny scenes like talking about cinematography again and the editing especially mm-hmm. i saw some major parallels between getting the ship ready and this mutiny where you had the really fast cuts you had some double exposure going on with Mm -hmm. passing out all of the muskets and um then seeing the fighting on deck yeah there's a decent amount of double exposure in this film but i liked it in no i thought it was well used i thought Um, it was well used and so i was a big fan thought the rapid pacing worked really really well Mm -hmm. and up until this point i don't really think we've seen a lot of the really rapid paced editing which often is held up as like Oh, unless in modern day film. Unless people, it's a montage of newspaper headlines. Well, that's I'm the just only gonna pretend like that it. didn't happen. <laughs> I really actually love rapid montages of newspaper headlines, but I think it's my like 1930s movie nostalgia because it's in like every single one of them. Um, but yeah, the mutiny scene beautifully shot. Well, and I love at the end of it when you've got Bly in that boat and Lawton is standing up and just like manically yelling. Like again, standout performance. Hashtag Lawton got robbed. I'm starting that now. <laughs> yes. Well, and that scene when they're kind of off the back of the boat was also an opportunity for Fletcher to be like, okay, we mutinied, but we're not savages. Well, here's the thing though. From like a logical standpoint, basically, um, if you mutinied, that was literally, and I'm sure probably still today, as far as like navies are concerned, the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Like instant death sentence. Like basically if you are tried for a mutiny, you're not getting out, which is why it's kind of weird at the end that Byam somehow escapes. But I guess he had better arguments for not actually having well, participated. I want to talk about that yeah. in a minute, but yeah. <laughs> but like, it is, if you get away from that mutiny, if you don't die in the actual mutiny, if you are ever caught, you are dead. Period. Yeah. Like it's not. Hung from the yard. yard. Yeah. Like you're, like, yeah. that's it for you. The logical thing for like Fletcher and them to do, quite honestly, would have been to kill Bly. And then be like, accident. Like, <laughs> but they didn't. Or do be that. like, he died at sea or something. But it's like this weird slash interesting, I guess, like moral code of Fletcher Christian. But it basically, like, in like, yes, he is doing the noble quote noble thing in not, or at least not straight up killing Bly because as Bly does say, like, basically putting us into this rowboat with almost no food and water in the middle of the Pacific is a death sentence. Yes. Like, basically, you don't want to kill me yourself, but you want me dead. Like, so, like, I guess kind of the upfront, almost noble, quote, noble thing to do is leaving, leaving Bly alive, sort of, sort of giving him a chance. Mm -hmm. But, like, at the same time, Fletcher has now basically doomed himself and the rest of the crew. Well. In a way. Maybe. It felt like the wrong decision in the moment. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know for sure. Although, I do think what happens then that's kind of cool and interesting is we get to see a slightly different side of Bly. Oh my gosh. This whole scene where he actually becomes a leader by example and tries to take care of all the people on the ship. Yes. And it's, I wonder if it's, it's maybe because those people he thinks are with him because, but it's like, he doesn't have his normal paranoia or something, but it's like, you see them in this awful situation and Bly steps up. And shows that he's incapable of being a competent, good leader. Yes. And that's where I was so hoping that this was going to be a change of heart for him. But really wanted it to be. But that also makes him a really great villain because you see that he has the potential to actually be extremely yeah, good. So he's and choosing he, to be evil. 
choosing slash he's choosing i'm not can't him a for not certain <laughs> can't for certain personality past experience reasons don't want to get into like all of the psychology right now but like this is when lawton performs it so well but too these are the kind of characters i really love because they're complex yes they're so yeah. co- they're complex and they're realistic and like these are the characters that make me a character driven movie watcher yes now with those little the, the scene in the little boat as i like to call it yeah um, the soundtrack was also amazing mm. in those scenes. So when Bly is like, we're going to bail with our hands if we have to in this giant storm, like the peaks and swells of the storm with the music was just so okay. powerful. And again, with the way that they were setting that up, it almost felt to me like we were being told that we should feel a little bit more for Bly, which I mean, that was rapidly put to rest once we see Bly again. Um, but that's so good though, because you're like, you think he's changing and coming and around and that he's going to have learned something, but he doesn't. It's like character development by not developing. Yeah. It's, oh, no, it's it was so great. good. I really liked it. <laughs> so we talked about Bly's portion. Now, what we discover is that Fletcher's crew has returned to Tahiti. They're now all married. They're, oh, bef- M- well, married. married, have a kid. All of the babies in this movie were super ugly. I don't understand. <laughs> Ian. <laughs> guess, guess, what is, guess what our quote of the episode is going to be. <laughs> um, I'm not even mad. Um, but when we see Fletcher's uh, on the island, it's interesting because they butted up against a scene of Byam's family at Christmas having Carol's son. I have a note about that and I loved it. So much. Yeah, it's the Byam's family in England at Christmas singing God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, I believe I think. so. Yeah, and then it cuts to the sailors on Tahiti all singing God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. Yes, and I love that parallel where it's like, okay, you still have... It, it was interesting to me because it felt like they were setting up some tension slash motivation for the people on Tahiti to try and get back. Well, and then they hammer it home with the one sailor who has the wife and child, yeah. which remind me of his name i'm ellison that sounds right yes um but you can see how devastated ellison is about the fact that he is basically never going to get to see his family again as far as he can tell yeah he gets over it though when someone's like come sing with us well puts on a good face i'm not sure he's over it (laughs) no oh i one thing that i did love just kind of to jump back to the menu real quick i did love when they were throwing all the breadfruit plants out oh the trail of breadfruit plants was amazing well and that killed me because the bly was like these aren't going to die reduce water rations to water the damn fruits Bly was willing to kill his men to keep the yeah but again this goes back to it's his cruelty and his evilness comes from like I mean, he's got to be a sociopath. He has no empathy. But it's like, it comes from the idea of like, this is my mission and nothing will get in the way of my mission, even other people's lives. Oh, so good. But then again, you get the symbolism of screw your mission, Bly. It's out in the water. (laughs) Like, was it worth it? Was it? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. I'm um, going to go with not. Yeah, I'm going to go with not. So <laughs> A lot of people die in this film, Ian. They gonna go do. With they do. It's really kind of depressing. So, 
But back on Tahiti, they find that a British ship has now mm-hmm. found them, which everybody scrambles and oh, yeah. are like, we're leaving which, the of island course, with everybody. Let's talk about Byam real quick. Byam is like, but I wasn't involved in the mutiny. It's like him and I think two of their officers, one of which I think was the midshipman, Stuart. Yes, they like Allison. tried to fight back, but hadn't been able to. And so then they're not able to get on the boat with Bly because like Fletcher's like, there's not enough room. So right. you're now staying with us. And he like has them tied up basically until they promise not to try and take the ship back which one i kind of want to be like there's three of them guys they like they're not the they're not back. going to try like if they're smart they won't try they'll just oh. try and escape although Byam does straight up say he's like i will try my darndest to escape though which he didn't try that hard he really didn't he just was like i'm not going yeah with but you. he's <laughs> so confident that when that british ship is coming he's like no i'll stick around because i wasn't involved in the mutiny and i'm like Byam, Who's everyone's gonna, gonna think you? yes i'm like everyone's gonna think you were like it's not like christian's gonna be there to be like no he wasn't well, and when we see that it indeed is Bly that is on this British ship, yeah. he's like, immediately tell him where they went. And we're like, we can't because Bly doesn't give a shit. No, he he's convinced that they're just not telling him because they won't tell him. Because they're mutineers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I kind of want to be like, they're not, but like also like... Bly at this point is acting uh, rationally. Yeah, like I mean, of course people think that they are. Well, and that's where Byam... I feel like that's a point of development for Byam, though, because he's choosing to fall on his own sword. Well, he has that really great monologue at the um, uh, court-martial. I love the way he starts it. Uh, He says something about Captain Bly, and he says, but there's another story, Captain Bly, a story of ten coconuts and two cheeses. Oh, it was such a good line. (laughs) uh, To pull an Ian, goosebumps. Ian always, whenever he sees something in a film that he really likes or hears music he really likes, he will shove his arm in your face and go, look at the goosebumps on my arms. Only Maggie's face. Well, you should stop. (laughs) And only when I get goosebumps. (laughs) But no, his his monologue at the end was well acted. Rancho Tone killed it. Okay, so I do to like jump a little bit ahead there. I found this ending about, oh, by your wonderful evidence and da 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 you're turning over a new leaf on relationships between officers and men. And I don't know. It felt, it felt like such a cop out. I honestly, like, so what happens is there's the sentencing and I want to talk about the shot because I thought it was beautifully done where mm-hmm. everyone in the quote court, but they're, in, they're on a ship doing the court martial. Um, it looked like they were on a ship. Yeah, they were definitely on a ship, but everyone in the room is seated except for Byam who's standing in the middle and everyone is perfectly still except for one guy who gets up and walks around to deliver the sentence. And I just love the way that I was shot and blocked um, because it gave like weight to the end of Byam's dialogue and mm-hmm. then like really made you focus on that sentencing. And his sentence is to be hanged. Hu- hanged. Yeah. I was about to say hung and then I forget they always call it hanged. <laughs> um, but, and I, you know, I kind of wanted that ending if that makes sense. Like I, it would have meant more. He needed more. to be a martyr. It would have meant more than it being like, Oh, nope, deus ex machina. Oh, yeah. The, the cop out fine. with the letter presumably signed by King George. I was like, yeah, yeah. This is bullshit. And then, and, and then the very end, of course, by him on a new ship, which I'm like, dude, no one would want him on that ship. If Except you were they on were a all mutiny congratulating ship, him. If you were on a mutinied ship, well, I guess he apparently knows the king. But if you were on like a ship that there was a mutiny on, like no one wanted you after that. Mm-mm. Like you were, You're a risk. you were bad luck. You were a risk. You were bad luck. But anyway, everyone's like greeting him. And I think Byam goes in kind of, 
I like Francho Tone's performance was nice because he goes onto the ship very guarded and then everyone's like congratulating him and like being kind. Yeah. And you like see him kind of like transition into like this new hope. But like I, I didn't like From that a narrative ending. perspective, I agree. Yeah, it did it didn't work. I think by him being a martyr would have meant a lot more. So to kind of change gears a little bit to Fletcher's ending, because we have this double ending here. Well, before we get to Fletcher, I just want to point out that Captain Bly ran his fucking ship onto a reef searching for Fletcher. Like, he did not care what happened. No, he's a spiteful man. So, yeah, like... That whole trial at the end felt kind of farcical after this guy ran his boat on a reef on a mission that he was not assigned to. But like, I I don't know. It made sense for Bly's character. And I did actually love the court martial scene. I'm, mostly because the dialogue was amazing. No, I loved it. I loved it. But I just, Bly, it infuriates me. Yeah. So going to Fletcher's ending, they've left Tahiti and they're just like in this beautiful, this scene I really, or shot I really liked where they had Fletcher's boat in the mist, just kind of hiding out, which was uh, the effect mm-hmm. of that was perfect for the film. It was hardcore making me think of Master and Commander. It was all, I mean, it also made me think, forgive me, of scenes in parts of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, like, I mean, that make, makes Any sense. of the like misty, mysterious, like, yeah. I, there it was, was great. There was something else that I was like, there was another movie that took a lot of inspiration from that, but I can't remember what it was. And I apparently didn't write it down. <laughs> but regardless, it was good. Now, I'm trying to feel figure out how I feel about the ending of for Fletcher. Because what he ends up doing is saying, okay, here's an island where you really can't anchor a ship. So once we're here, we're here. And the goal is to get on the island, shipwreck, and burn the bounty. And I'm... I like, so uh, I like it from a symbolism standpoint. I like the burning of the bounty. Yes, that was beautiful. yes, that in particular I like from a symbolism standpoint. There, there's also like some weird stuff with Fletcher talking about like an equal society type deal, which I was like, I, but like I, you didn't get from him throughout the film that what he wanted was sailors and officers to be equal. He just wanted Bly to not be so ridiculously cruel right because at least at the very beginning fletcher has no problem leading a press gang right like it's yeah i don't know it felt it felt out of keeping with his character a bit i don't know it felt like i wanted more out of that but it just and it let me down i would say this movie started off incredibly strong mm-hmm. and like i mean I, I still think overall it was good and overall i enjoyed it i actually enjoyed it a lot more than i had anticipated same um, same because I'm, I'm not usually a war and or navy movie see that's weird because i do love both those (laughs) genres but for some reason i was like don't think i'm gonna like this one but i actually did like it quite a bit but i would i would say it definitely peaked in that first third yeah and then sort of lost its way a bit Mm -hmm. agreed now the music this is apart from wings really for me and all quiet to a lesser extent this is the first movie that I think really used. Well, all quiet, moments all quiet had a beautiful score in the sense that it didn't really have a score. Right. So like that's a well, it a used weird it one. to maybe I should say sound design more. So no, that's not right. Yeah, maybe. But, but I, we, wings I think would be a better yeah. example for sure. But it used the soundtrack very effectively mm-hmm. and only at the points where it needed it. So I will say, yeah, I'm gonna go with you on that. I think this is maybe the most effective soundtrack we've seen. Like with this, I noticed yeah, how I the music like really but propelled. Then part of the me is like, the... did I notice it because I noticed it, or because I had already looked up my background notes and knew it got nominated for score? So oh, I was see, I didn't know it. that it got okay. nominated. Okay, when okay, I watched, cool. Then it was. So. Then I noticed it because I noticed it. <laughs> yeah. 
So no, it was good. I was I was very happy. Cool. And the costume design was very sharp as yeah, well. It definitely was. Um, I think that wraps up for our main discussion. Yeah. So basically we enjoyed it even if it let us down at the end. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would definitely put it with like worth a watch. It's not, yes. it's not one that I would be like, oh my God, you have to watch this. Not like it happened one night. <laughs> yes. Everyone should watch that. It's required watching from now on for everybody everywhere. But, um, yeah, in, in general, I liked it. Um, any sort of other notes that you had or things we didn't cover? Anything you thought was funny? Well, I don't know if anybody watches the Aussie Man reviews, but when Bly shipwrecked, I was like, God, Bly, you fucked it. <laughs> <laughs> there, oh, there was one I had that I thought was really good. Um, I do have when when they first hit Tahiti, uh, no, don't shoehorn in a love story. And then right under that, no, don't shoehorn in a second love story. <laughs> Oh, that was so bad. I also, there was during, so another note that I really thought was funny, and I'm not sure they meant for this to be a joke, but all of the mutineers who were on trial, I think it was Byam who said, we're all in the same boat here. (laughs) (laughs) And so not only were they literally on the same boat, they were also all being tried for mutiny. So that that I was like, did you intend for that to be a joke? So, do we want to go else? into our rankings? All right, let's go into rankings. You start this time. Your turn. <laughs> um, let me pull mine up because I don't remember specifically what number, but I think I remember what it's after. So, actually, you go first. Okay. Yeah, so for me, I think that I'm going to be putting Mutiny at number four. Okay. So, that means that it comes after Wings but before Grand Hotel. Oh, interesting. And I think for me, it really comes down to me liking the cinematography much more on Mutiny than I did in Grand Hotel. Mm -hmm. And especially from an editing perspective, I thought the way things were spliced together were just really, really Mm -hmm. good filmmaking. So um, it definitely bested Grand Hotel for me. So I actually really, really struggled with this um, as to whether or not it went before or after Grand Hotel. Interesting. Um, I ended up putting it after. So I have it as number four between Grand Hotel and Wings. Um, And I think kind of what made the difference for me. So going through the first third of the movie, Uh I 100% was like, oh, this is going to be my number three. Like it was 100% heads above Grand Hotel for me. The second section and then with like the ending, I was just like it... It brought it down. Yeah, it brought it down a lot for me. And like with Grand Hotel, you know, comparing the two, my biggest problem with Grand Hotel was John Barrymore's performance. Mm -hmm. And whereas I will say, as far as Muni on the Bounty went, I think, you know, all the performances were outstanding. I don't think I can really complain about them. But, you know, John Barrymore's performance let me down in Grand Hotel, largely in comparison to the other performances. And like the ending was so satisfactory to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And while I did really love the performances in Mutiny, especially Charles Lawton, none of them compared to Lionel Barrymore's performance in Grand Hotel <laughs> for me. So, like, I would say the acting is what saved. Yeah, Grand Hotel. I think I think it was the characters, the acting, and then the fact that Grand Hotel didn't linger. Yeah, and Mutiny definitely lingered. Mutiny a bit. felt like it drug on after the Mutiny. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the whole bit in Tahiti, like it just it. It started off incredibly strong for me and like was definitely number three, potentially even a contender for number two based on that first third. But it, it, yeah, it just wavered. Failed to deliver. Yeah, in the end. So I'm putting it as number four. Sounds good. Our lists are starting to get real different. They are. Um, okay, so I think that is it. Next episode we are doing, I want to say the Great 
Zigfield. Can you check the spreadsheet? I have it open. Yeah, so it is indeed the great Zigfield. Cool. So join us next episode for that. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter. We are at Best Pictures Pod on both, or email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail.com. Um, we'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, review us. Um, and tell us why we're wrong or preferably why we're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I'm Maggie and... No, you're not. <laughs> I'm not Maggie. I'm Ian and that's Maggie. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys.